Hello, I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Re-View Podcast. Podcast. And we are trying to cover all different kinds of medium, and uh, certainly a big piece of my life uh, is comic books. And so we're going to talk about The Watchmen today, which is monumental, but I think we're going to surprise you. I had a front row seat to this uh, because I had been reading comics since the early 70s, and I saw things starting to... Uh, grow that made me very excited. Like in the late 70s, early 80s, I could pick out a couple of writers and artists who were trying to do things uh, that were more complicated, uh, that had some real emotional weight to them. I wasn't just, you know, buying the latest Spider-Man. There were plenty of comic books in the 70s that I found just completely boring. And when people talked about comics in a very dismissive way, they were just for kids, very juvenile. The funny books. The funny books, you know, I could see the people who were starting to try to grow beyond that. Um, there was a whole wave of store openings in the early 80s where instead of buying your comics at the local drugstore, which is what I did in Brookings, South Dakota, you could, in a bigger city, go to a store dedicated. It was like an independent bookstore. And you went there to get really different and odd comics. And I would do that when I was visiting my mom uh, while she was getting her PhD in music in Minneapolis. Right? I found a comic store and I would go there and buy Canadian comics. I would buy self-published stuff. I could see what was growing. So this is 82, 83, 84. And then things really blow open when Frank Miller does The Dark Knight Returns, uh, which is just four issues, but completely changes the tone of the industry. And right after that is The Watchmen. So I should be somebody, as, as somebody who watched this happen and wanted comics to be more and wanted to work in comics and be taken seriously, these two works, The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, were a huge leap forward that then, a few years later, uh, Spiegelman's Mouse kind of completed that, right? Those three works come out within about five years of each other. And suddenly, comics are an art form that serious, educated people could discuss. And you actually took a class. So I took a class, and I might have mentioned it in passing on previous podcasts. I actually took a class, 300-level class, last thing I needed for my degree, uh, in the spring of 2016, called Apocalyptic Literature, which was all about narratives that dealt with the end of the world or themes of the end of the world, societal collapse, personal apocalypses of the human spirit, stuff like that. And we covered Watchmen in that class. Uh, it was the only graphic novel we covered. But you had read it before the class. I had actually read it for another class. I read it in the high school uh, English class I took senior year. Yeah. Um, I have studied Watchmen in an academic capacity three times. Wow. And so that's actually one of the ways that the canon gets set, right? You guys have heard me talk about Moby Dick. And there are lots of ways that we now, in the 21st century, can set the canon because our voices are all part of the mix. Social media is a big part of setting what should be in the, con the conversation. But I still think there's a role to play in education. So if, if somebody's assigning a book or a movie in their class, that is them saying, you need to know this. It's important. And so my uh, apocalyptic literature class covered this. Uh, we talked a lot about its place in the history of graphic novels. Uh, we talked a lot about its themes of apocalyptic destruction, the fears that were present in the 1980s over that, and how this work deals with them, 
uh, how it personifies nuclear anxieties with Dr. Manhattan, mm -hmm. and uh, what it has to say about humans as a whole and how we react to tragedy and how we react to things that are painful to us on a personal level and a societal level. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, so The Dark Knight Returns packs a real punch in four issues, and The Watchmen goes for 12. Watchmen's so, 12 issues. <laughs> it is a graphic novel. It's part of the wave that really says, no, 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 this isn't a comic book. This is a graphic novel. It's on the Time Magazine's 100 Best Novels list that they published years ago. And it includes other art forms in it, right? They've given it so much space that it's not just in the comic book, you know, panel, 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 visual format. They work in, uh, you know, essays. There's this weird thing that's like an old comic about pirates that they work in. There's a research paper you have to read. Yeah, and it's all in the body of the text, so you do have to take it as one complete whole. Just like Moby Dick has chapters about how to pack whale oil, by the way. I like the whale oil packing chapters, <laughs> but I like a whale. I like the blubber discourse. Um, and I, I, I mean, we've been tiptoeing around it up to this point. I really don't like Watchmen. I don't like it either. It sucks. It sucks. It, it really it's sucks. It's boring. I'm supposed to like it as a professional. It's done so much to create the world that I now live in and create of uh, space where my comics can be read by elementary and middle school children you know, who want to know about American history. I live in a world created by the Watchmen. Why don't I like it? I, it's, for me, it's boring. It's boring! What it has to say is actually wrong. It's not... <laughs> its thesis is wrong. Um, but we'll get to that. It's boring. We should start with it's boring. Because it is so boring. If uh, you look at the panels, right... Everything okay. is laid out in a grid. It's everything a grid, is a 9 by 9 grid. 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 Like... So, in other words, the that's a point of the storytelling, right? When an yeah, artist, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. When an artist is trying to make something so relentless, I read it on one level when I was a young person. I was just going into college when this came out. And I was like, well, this is really an indictment of the way comics used to be. They're, they're trying to build a new level of the graphic storytelling on the bones of decades of crappy storytelling. I mean, it's it's like... The artist, uh, Dave Gibbons... And, British artist. Good guy. Yep. And the writer, Alan Moore, I mean, they're literally poking the eyes of the creators who came before them. I yes. think that's why they're doing this stupid grid, but you know what? I think that's really annoying. It's uh, disrespectful. And, and everything is in these terrible little washed-out pastel colors, which would have been in the comics of the 60s and 70s. And, yes. And they're deliberately making this look like a retro comic and they're making fun of their ancestors which i'm not a big fan of although now i'm doing it right i am a comic book creator now yeah. knocking the comic book creators who helped create the world i live in. i don't know if it's so i don't see it as them making fun of their ancestors i see yeah, it them as using the tools that they're familiar with to try and tell a new story but they don't understand or or maybe they don't care or maybe they i mean they tell me i'm wrong they would tell me i'm wrong they're using tools that don't really fit the story that they want to tell. You and I always talk about using the medium. Yeah. Whatever medium you're going to make your story in, you better make it use the tools that you can only get in a movie right. or a comic or a video game. Right. And this is, you know, it is a graphic novel, but it really feels more like a novel. You know, the art mm. is really boring. The layout is really boring. A lot of the camera angles are very static. They're all... You know, chest high and above, facial shots directly looking at, you know, the viewer. And 
So how do you explain that choice? My explanation is they're making fun of the comics that came before. Uh, my explanation is... Why do they choose to do that? that I, I'm not so... Con my explanation is I'm not concerned why they're doing it. I'm concerned <laughs> with the fact that it's really boring. <laughs> and everything is pastel, and everything is washed out, and it has this really stupid, horrible... Like, in the middle issue, I think it's like six or seven... They actually perfectly mirror, this was talked about in my class, they perfectly mirror, they have this big splash page of, of Ozymandias hitting a guy, and then the rest of the issue mirrors the first part, like panel for panel, hmm. but in like a weird, with different characters in the places, and the story's still advancing. And I just don't care. That's like technical stuff to show how clever you are, and I don't feel like it benefits the story. I don't feel like the grid layout benefits the story. It's really boring to look at and to read, and there's so much text. You know, and I like comic book writers like Brian Michael Bendis, who do not exist without Watchmen, and I do understand that. But, and, and Brian Michael Bendis fills up his pages with word balloons. They talk, 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 talk. But he always has an artist who's able to trick your brain into thinking that the character's word balloons aren't taking up as much art space as they are. Yeah, it's Dave a much better Gibbons, balance. Yeah, Dave Gibbons' art really feels like it's drowning underneath these word balloons. And yeah, it's pretty static it's stuff. It's really so. static and really boring, and I know Dave Gibbons is capable of more because I loved, in the 90s, they actually had him not only draw, but write a Darth Vader solo comic for yes. Dark Horse. Yeah, that was good. And that thing is beautifully illustrated. It does really cool stuff with art and layout, and yeah. he's using all kinds of weird angles, and Vader has like a mental breakdown at one point where the panels splinter. I know Dave Gibbons is capable of more than this. Yeah, so... And they've deliberately handicuffed themselves. Because they were trying to do actually exactly what they accomplished. They did want to write a piece of literature, and Alan Moore just took off. And so this is really Alan Moore's book, and it's written to be taken seriously by academics and people who care about literature. That's why there are so many words. And that's why, you know, in the precious alchemy, in this art form, you have to balance words and pictures. It's, it's, a, it's a magical thing to balance them correctly to fit the story. And here, it's completely tipped in one direction because they're trying to say, you must put us on the New York, you know, book review. Yeah. And they succeeded, and that's why it's being taught in college courses. So on the one level, I can appreciate what they've done, but you know what? I don't sit down and reread Watchmen. It, it's so ponderous. It's an idea more than a story. Yeah. Right? They here's here's the bottom line for why I don't like it is it, you talk about them being like too clever by half in doing these little tricks, but it doesn't add up to a story. I'm like, it it's it's a concept more than a story. And I can recognize and appreciate the concept, but I don't want to read that story ever again. Yeah, no, and, and he's... Alan Moore is using characters... Uh, you know what, I think I might come over to your side and saying that he's parodying the stuff that's come before because he's using characters from Charleston Comics. Yeah. He's renamed them slightly and thrown them in here. I mean, Dr. Manhattan is just Captain Adam. Mm -hmm. It's just who he is. Yeah. Ozymandias is... is I'm sorry, not Ozymandias. Um, Rorschach is just the question. He's just taking these Charleston mm -hmm. Comics characters. His original pitch for this was to just use those Charleston Comics characters. Mm -hmm. But since DC had integrated it into their mainstream comics at that point, they were like, we don't want you to spoil these characters in that way, so you've got to create your own stuff. Right. And it, it's just really weird to have Alan Moore get so grumpy when people want to make sequels and prequels to The Watchmen 
and he's like, well, you shouldn't use my characters like that, blah, 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 when he's using other people's characters. Right. He's using everyone else's toolbox to tell right. his highfalutin, high art story. Right. And he wants to be the gatekeeper. Watchmen was 12 issues, and Dave Gibbons, blah, 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 blah. I don't want there to be a movie adaptation. Shut up. Let the myth live. Maybe someone else will do something actually freaking interesting with these loser characters, who, by the way, are all reprehensible or boring. Now, you can have reprehensible main characters, but they got to be entertaining to watch. Yeah. You can have, you know, kind of boring main characters if they're good people because you can then relate to them or project onto them. These people are bad and boring, which is really hard to do. It's really an interesting narrative trick that he's pulled off. <laughs> that these characters are so screwed up and so damaged and so reprehensible, and none of them is interesting. They're not interesting to read about. The comedian's not interesting. Rorschach is a really half-baked commentary on Batman. Really half-baked. Everything revolves around someone's repressed sexuality. Yeah. And I just don't care. I don't care about a single one of these characters. And if you don't care about the characters, you don't care about the plot. And if you don't care about any of that stuff, why are you reading it? So people would answer that by... I hate these characters. <laughs> people would answer that by saying it was revolutionary in showing that people with superpowers were not actually heroic. Except I could take another 30 minutes, don't worry I won't, I could take another 30 minutes to show that people before 1986 and before The Watchmen were published, you know, there were other writers and comic artists who were showing heroes who had problems, right? Yeah. There was a very famous run on the... the um, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow comic, you know, that dealt with drug abuse, okay? Uh, they had already started to revise Batman to show that he's not that heroic if you look yeah. at him from certain angles. And, you know, so everything that the Watchmen did, I can point to other examples where it's done in a, in a way that's more light on its feet. It's, it's, it's a more deft presentation. You know, even this nine-panel presentation that we hate in The Watchmen because it goes on page after page after page, well, you know what? There are some pages in The Dark Knight Returns that are nine panels, but they're done for a specific reason, and then he moves on, you know, and the, the narrative keeps flowing. So, so Miller does some of these same things, but he's lighter on his feet. It's not this relentless, I'm going to beat you to death with a baseball bat named literature. Yeah, and Frank Miller has so much more confidence in the art to tell the story yeah. than I think Alan Moore had faith in Dave Gibbons. And mm. you and I talk and can talk for way longer than 30 minutes about Don't worry, there's we won't. one page in The Dark Knight Returns where it's just like seven panels of, of black. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. black. And you're, you're getting a few word captions and sound effects, yeah. but you don't know what's happening. Yeah. This isn't a lead-in from an earlier scene. This is a new scene, like eight panels of black. And then your next image carries a huge emotional impact. Yeah. Right? There is payoff to this oh idea. Oh my god. And it's not because it's literature, it's because he's using the medium. By denying you a visual image, that next image you see on the next page is like, whoa! And instead, this is just this relentless barrage of pastel garbage. Yeah. And, and I could stick on the art criticism of this forever. But we do need to get into the human element, and the human element is uh, a rough subject to talk about. It's something I brought up in my apocalyptic literature class, and it made a lot of people uncomfortable, but I'm going to bring it up again, which is that the central thesis of Watchmen, spoilers for something that's 30 years old, Watchmen ends with a 
terror attack on New York City. Yeah. It ends with a giant squid monster, shaped like a vagina, being teleported into the heart of New York City, and its psychic scream, this is real, this is happening, kills everyone within like a 30-block radius. Quick time out. This is why it's making fun of the comics of the 50s and 60s that Alan Moore and Dave grew up reading, right? Because that was the kind of ridiculous kind of space monster thing that they would show you in pastel colors. That's why I read this as them trying to invert the comics that they grew up on. And so I understand that concept, but you know what? The giant squid space monster thing at the end of this comic book, I just think is ridiculous and, and it's offensive. So, it's so unsubtle. Like, this big splash page yeah. of, of it's this apocalyptic image is so unsubtle. There are dead bodies everywhere. And who should be playing at the at the Coliseum but Pale Horse in concert with Crystal Knocked? Ooh, I get it. It's I like get the it. apocalypse. I get it. And then the people who are leaving the movie theater who got killed were seeing the day the earth stood still. Well, I get it. I have an idea, Alan. Go screw <laughs> and go away. Like, unbelievable. So here's the thing, folks. This giant terror attack on New York City is supposed to be what ends the Cold War in this fictional universe. You know, you have Richard Nixon, who's still the president in this narrative, which is a touch I actually like. I do like... But you know what? Again, (laughs) so that same kind of touch was done much better by Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns, right at the same time this is coming out. Yeah, where Reagan's forever president. Yeah. God, I love medals, son. Would you like a medal? (laughs) Dude, oh, and he's talking with Superman. Okay, we'll do The Dark Knight Returns another time, and that'll be a much more positive podcast. Yeah. But here's the thing, folks. We had a terror attack on New York City. We had thousands of people die because foreign actors wanted to strike us at our homeland. And as Jon Stewart, the comedian, pointed out, September 11th was the day everything changed, and September 12th was the day everything changed back. September 11th did not resolve our differences. September 11th did not create world peace. Thousands of people dying in New York City, has now happened since the creation of this graphic novel. And I'm sorry, but Alan Moore was wrong. We are not united because of this. And so when you that say, is a strike against this literature being in canon, when your thesis gets proven wrong. Yeah, by real-world events yeah, that are quite serious. So yeah. when you bring that up in the class, what kind of reaction do you get? What well, do people they say? Just, they don't want to talk about it. They, they, that whole class was confrontational toward me. They, they didn't like me. I didn't like them. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you were in that class, I'm sorry. I probably didn't like you. You probably didn't like me. <laughs> on your radio. On your radio. You got to hear me on your radio. Anyway, but they didn't like that because for them, you know, art exists in a vacuum, in a museum. And once it's in the can, it's in the can forever. And they don't want to... And it's a neat little ev- package yeah, that gets sealed off. Yeah, they don't want to evaluate yeah. this stuff anymore. Right, right. You know, they don't want to have to accept the idea that maybe... You know, I do love Moby Dick, so I'm just throwing this out as an example. Maybe Moby Dick isn't in the canon anymore. Maybe this stuff isn't worth as much as you think it is. Right. Maybe people are allowed to say, you know, this isn't sacrosanct to me. In fact, uh, there's a lot in here that I think is really gross. There was some stuff in here that the class did agree with me on that... Uh, they deserve credit for for challenging this narrative. Uh, there's a lot of pretty gross sexism in here, you yeah, know. And yes. and it's always tricky to gauge authorial intent. I try to leave that out there as much as I can because I don't want to accuse any creator of being sexist. You're allowed unless or, or racist unless you see it as a repeated trend. Yeah, you know you can treat 
female characters badly. You can treat male characters badly. You can treat black characters badly. You can treat Asian characters badly if the narrative presents this as a bad thing. Yeah. If the narrative says, you treat these people badly, you're not human. You're, right, and, right. And if there's a moral discussion. If there's a moral discussion, if it's challenging, if it's, or if it's like a one-off where they just needed to make a point, hmm. you know, rather than like a repeated trend. But like this graphic novel treats women horribly. Yeah. And there's just no daylight. And I, it gets really tiresome to read. Like people accuse Frank Miller of like, Racism. Uh, of, of racism and of sexism, especially in the aftermath of Sin City. People yeah. really go after him. Right. But, you I know, think he's got plenty of strong female characters. He's the one who says... Sin City. <laughs> he, well, and, and, and in The Dark Knight Returns, which is what we're using as our point of comparison, yeah. the inheritor of the Commissioner Gordon role, the person who is supposed to be Commissioner Gordon for the new generation, is a, is a young woman. Yeah. Commissioner Ellen Yandel. And she is not yeah. portrayed as a fool nope. or stupid. She's portrayed as a really capable threat she's, to the Batman. She's uh, upholding the law. Yeah. yeah. And he's the first person who says, you know what, Robin? That's a young girl. That's Carrie Kelly, who's yeah. got enough courage yeah. to go out there and make her own Robin costume. Right. She doesn't even know if the so, Batman's going to accept her. She just says, I'm going to go out there and do good as Robin with or without the Batman. Right. So all that's of awesome. the stuff that's been happening in the last five or six years where Marvel and DC to a lesser extent have started to put females into traditionally male roles like Thor and Spider-Man, right? Yeah, which is cool. Which is cool, except Frank Miller did that first. And he did a, it in 1986, dude. Exactly. So Carrie Kelly, by the way, my favorite Robin. Yeah. So the Watchmen, to the side of what Frank Miller's doing in The Dark Knight Returns, you know, it's just so ponderous and... So Samuel's given it a knock because the real world disproves uh, the this narr narrative. I'll knock it because then the movie comes out in 2009 and just confirms all of the things that I didn't like about the Watchmen graphic novel. So, you know, I see these two creators really just having this uh, snarky trashing of the comics that came before them. Uh, it's a very boomer comic book to me. Uh, even that space monster, right, at the end that goes into New York City is straight out of boomer-era comics. The creators are boomers. And then I sit down in the theater to watch the movie, and it it was just like 10 or 15 years too late. I had seen so many boomer movies with the same soundtrack going over the same material that by the time I sit down in 2009 to watch The Watchmen on the big screen and they're playing all the same Vietnam music and they're playing the sound of silence and I just was bored to tears. I, I didn't really need to see the JFK assassination again and, and just to work over the same material because if you're going to do that after 20 years of movies and popular literature going over the 60s again and again and again and again, you'd better bring something new to the table. And The Watchmen doesn't. It, it's, it's really... There's not much there there. No, I just... I'm flipping through this thing again. I've got it right in front of me. And, and there's just... There's no character in here who just says... And I'd really feel a lot better if there was even one character in here who goes, you're all terrible people. Like... <laughs> It, it assumes that every single person who were to dress up in costume and to do good would be not just fundamentally broken, but really ill. Like, this, this, this says that these people can't exist without some sort of psychosexual hang-up right. or without some weird inferiority complex. Right, so it literally says there is no good. I mean, this book is... 
and people can only do good if they are coerced into it. Screw you. Right. Like, it's a really dangerous uh, narrative. It's nihilism. Be- it's nihilism. That's right. And which is actually killing our society now, in my yeah. view. Apathy is the great enemy. Apathy and nihilism, where the, f- the feeling is that nobody can do good, that everybody is flawed. You know, this moral relativism is encapsulated in the Watchmen. That's another reason why I don't like it. Because I, you know, I'm looking for pieces of art that will address the serious issues, which the Watchmen does. But then we'll say, okay, so how do we rise out of that? Yeah. Or as the famous saying goes, we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Watchman is looking down into the gutter. It's nothing but gutter. No. It's reveling in the gutter. And the only character who even slightly comes close to being, you guys are all terrible, is Rorschach. And, I mean, Alan Moore goes out of his way to make sure that you don't sympathize with Rorschach. I mean, yeah, he's terrible. Like Rorschach's a terrible person. Or but Night I, Owl. Night Owl is is sort of the uh, Cyril Figgis character. Cyril Figgis. But Mike he, Dukakis. But he's so weak, you know, that he doesn't do anything. No, he sucks. And and I like that Rorschach isn't apathetic like these guys are. Like I I like yeah. that he's like never compromised, even in the face of Armageddon. I've always liked that. That yeah. But even then, the narrative says, well, don't worry, that's pointless because Manhattan's going to blow him up. And because by that point, you can't possibly root for Rorschach because he's just an absolute monster. I mean, he's just not, there's, he's supposed to be this commentary on Batman, but to me, he reads much more like a character like the Punisher. Yeah. Like, this is somebody who has no moral relativism. If you're a criminal, you're a criminal, and I'm just going to kill you. And, Mm. you know, he's. He puts prostitution in the same category as like littering. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> littering and like armed robbery. It's like no, 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 no. These are these are not. No, 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 no. You you don't kill these people. Like yeah. It's and he's I I I just folks. It comes out of this. I hate all these characters. I hate this narrative. I hate the way that it's drawn, and the point it makes is ultimately not only false but wrong. Even if it hadn't been proven wrong. It's false. Like, people can do good. And they can do good for the sake of doing good. And I am just... And it's really the only option... looking at this It's the only option we have. If, if we all decide that it, there's no point in doing good, then we're all in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... We're all dead. If we all just decide nothing matters, and, and people can only do good if they're coerced into it, guess what? This it's, all it's collapses. Over. It's over. Yeah. So you know? I, I can't recommend a piece of art. Uh, it, it, the art as a piece of art, would have to be really fantastic for me to recommend nihilism. And this is neither Yeah, we're not good fans art. of Fight Club either. Yeah, it, it, there's just nothing to it. So I would recommend The Dark Knight Returns, which looks darker on, upon first glance, except ends with, on a hopeful note. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does, buddy. <laughs> but Dude, is all that, right, so hold on, i got to put it. We're, we're not going to do a full Dark Knight Returns podcast. But why I not? A, I need a little mouthwash here. All right. <laughs> the Dark Knight Returns. Lucky, lucky old man. Oh, my God. There are 17 ways to disarm a man from this position. 13 of them kill. Four of them disable. One of them hurts. Like, <laughs> ooh, ooh. This would be a good way to die. So, Are you sure we don't want to do a whole podcast? Oh my god, we might just need to stop it here and just do Dark Knight Returns, man. But the point is this, folks. Art needs to, in my mind, for who I am, it needs to reflect something in the world or lift us up 
or, or do something more than nothing. And Watchmen doesn't really reflect our world. It's, it's wrong. And it doesn't lift us up either. It's not creating something aspirational to us. You know, uh, Star Trek does not reflect our world, but it's aspirational. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there are plenty of pieces of art that I like that are not aspirational, but I think they're important and reflect who we are and do have something to say. Watchmen has something to say, but it's garbage. Yeah. Go, and... go read Hui Klo, right? Go read No Exit. If you want to just, you know, have a piece of art that talks about, you know, existentialism and, and nihilism and all that, there are other pieces of art that are better than Watchmen. Don't read Watchmen. Yeah, no. There's... Ugh. It's not Heart of Darkness. It's the Heart of Boredom. Anyway, <laughs> and on that note, on that note, folks, I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley. And this has been the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.